Welcome to Texans All Access. We are brought to you in part by Daikin. Hey, Texans fans, get a home field advantage this summer with Daikin Air Intelligence Tips you can use to beat the heat in your home. Learn how to lower your energy costs, reclaim your outdoor space, and breathe easier by improving your indoor air quality. It's all part of Daikin's Air Intelligence, and you can learn all about it by visiting daikinloveshouston.com. As one of Houston's largest employers, Daikin is doing big things for your fellow Texans. Check out their outstanding limited warranties and financing options at your local dealer today. Now back to the show. Here's the snap. Looking. Flips the ball. Diving for the pylon. And he's got it. Razzle dazzle. Touchdown, Houston. And the Texans go in front. Game day is every day. We had a lot of energy and we brought a lot of spark for this organization. The best is yet to come. Five nights a week, the hits keep on coming. Ball is out. The Texans say they have it. And they do. Now, it's Texans All Access. It's Friday, and it's time for Texans All Access. Yes, welcome in, everybody, because I am going to stop singing for the rest of my life. I am your host for this evening's show, John Harris, football analyst and sideline reporter for your Houston Texans. And we are less than 48 hours away from doing work against the Pittsburgh Steelers at Heinz Field. Kickoff is at noon, 1 p.m. local time. I don't know if you'll be in Pittsburgh. There are no fans allowed in the game, so you won't be in the stadium. But you might be there at a sports bar or whatever watching the game. For whatever reason, 1 o'clock local time. But 12 noon here, and it's time for the Texans at 0-2 to get a win to battle, stay in that thing for 60 minutes and see if you can't get out of there with a huge win, which would do so much for this team to come out of these top three games against three of the top seven teams in the league at worst, maybe three of the top five teams in the league, to get a win against one of them. The boost you would have coming back home with fans in the stands against the Vikings would be absolutely massive. I mean massive. But you got to take them one at a time. We'll get on the bird at about 1 o'clock tomorrow. Get up there. Get ready for the game. And hopefully everybody's focused on getting a win over the Steelers. Now, what do we have for you on the show tonight? Well, we got our deep slant one-on-one interview of the week brought to you by Xfinity. And this week, DP sat down with Charles Amenahu, second-year defensive lineman from the University of Texas. Got his first sack of the year last week. And more of that is needed. Then... My keys to the game. One key that I didn't talk about is turnovers. That's just kind of up on the Hall of Fame shelf up there. It's always there. But I dove deep into this one. And I watched the Ravens-Texans game a couple times on condensed copy. I watched it on the All-22 end zone view. I took notes on every single offensive play. Watched the whole thing all the way through. And I just came out of there thinking, man, there are things this team can be doing that would make it really hard to beat, even against good teams like Baltimore and Kansas City. There's a lot there, a lot there, but they got to clean up the little things. And so I'll give you my keys to the game to getting a win over the Pittsburgh Steelers. Then my man Mark Vandermeer joins me. We're going to hit on any number of things for this weekend. You know, couple, one thing we haven't even talked about, I, I don't think, is Big Ten and Pac-12 coming back, football coming back at the college level. The SEC opens up this weekend. 
Yeah, maybe we'll touch on that. Maybe we'll touch on some other things. I know Mark's got to be thrilled. His Hurricanes are 2-0, no, 1-0, 2-0, 2-0 in a season. They got a quarterback by the name of Derek King. Maybe you've heard of him. He's at the University of Miami doing some great things. So Mark and I will chop it up uh, in the start of the second hour. Then I do it every single week. It's one of my favorite, one of my favorite things to do. Predictions on all NFL games straight up and against the spread. And I don't, I'm not a, I'm not a bookie. I'm not a handicapper. That's not my thing. But I just love to talk about these games. I love to talk about how they could go. I like to look at the spreads and see whether I agree with Vegas, they agree with me, etc. That's just kind of a way to talk about the game. So I'll do all my predictions straight up and against the spread, including Monday night's game between the Chiefs and the Ravens. Do I agree with the general or not? I asked him that question the other night. You've seen both teams, Ravens and Chiefs. Which one's better? He said the Ravens. Do I agree? Here's your hint. Yes. And then finally, Drew Dory is the final word each and every Friday. And this week, he's got Justin Reed joining him. And I know whenever you have Justin Reed for an interview, it's always one of the best things that you're going to hear all week long. He is absolutely fantastic on the mic. I love doing post-game interviews with him. When we had the opportunity to do post-game interviews, he's absolutely fantastic. So I know Drew's going to have a good time with that, and that's a great way to finish the show. Now, how do we kick off the show? We do it with some hot reads, and the first hot read is always on a Friday. Mark Vandermeer with the head coach of the Houston Texans, Bill O'Brien. Mark, take it away. Coach, last week Pittsburgh was able to run the ball, and I know that's uh, of paramount importance to you. What's it going to be like to try to stop their ground attack with everything they offer up front with their blocking and James Conner? Yeah, they do a good job. I mean, they, they, you know, they're getting DeCastro back probably, and, um, you know, he's a good guard. They've they've done a good job with James Conner. Um, they mix uh, Snell in there a little bit too. You know, look, that's that's Pittsburgh. What about Ben Roethlisberger? This is a guy you have a lot of film on for years, for decades, really. Uh, do you use a lot of that backlog, or do you just watch what he's been doing this year and maybe early last year? Yeah, no, you have to look at everything, you know, relative. I mean, you're not going back to 2005 or anything, but, you, you know, I think that you do look at um, when he played early last year, the year before, uh, and then, you know, obviously you got to really focus in on the first two games and figure out how they're going to try to attack you, you know? And so I think that in the end, you know, he's a hall of fame player. He's a great player. He's hanging in the pocket. He's delivering the ball accurately. And we've just got to do a good job of making sure we stay in coverage and create a good, good pass rush. Now, what about pass coverage? What's it been like trying to simulate him this week and, and get the guys ready for everything their receivers can do because it's a talented group. It is. They, they, they do a good job. He's spreading the ball around, you know, obviously Juju Schuster's there, but he's got other guys. He's got Johnson. He's got Washington. Uh, the rookie Claypool's playing well for him. Ebron at tight ends playing well for him. He throws the ball to the backside of the backfield. So, you know, we've got to do a good job. Whatever your assignment is, you, you, you need to do a good job of understanding who you're guarding or if it's zone, like who's in your zone. So that'll be a big part of the game. Getting your ground game going this week against that front. What can you share with us about that battle in the trenches? It's tough. It'll it'll be, uh, you know, the determining factor in the game or one of the determining factors will be, like you asked earlier, our ability to stop the run and then our ability to run the ball. I mean, they, they do a good job against the run. They're stout inside, um, you know, obviously with T.J. Watt and Bud Dupree on the edges. It's, it's not going to be easy, but we've got to do a good job of covering them up and, and trying to create creases for David. 
you're on the road. Here we are, game three of this COVID era we're in in professional football. So does it help to have the first two out of the way in that regard, Coach, that hey, you're used to playing in a building with very few fans or no fans and that kind of thing? Now you're used to that environment, right? Right. I mean, I think we, we have to get going. We have to get off to a better start. Um, we've got to do a good job of understanding that we have to bring our own energy we got to get over there. we got to test the field, you know, different type of field surface. supposed to be 80 degrees there on Sunday. So, you know, we, we need to just be ready to go and bring our own level of energy and make sure that we, you know, basically do the next right thing. You know, just line up and play the next play and don't worry about the outcome. Just line up and play the next play and, and do the next right thing. Special teams, a field position every week is crucial. This week, maybe even more so because you're on the road against this type of offense. And I know you want great drive start for yourself. So what about that dimension of the game? Yeah, they, they do a good job. They have really good returners. Ray Ray McLeod, kickoff returners, really good. They've got a, a really good punt returner in Deontay Johnson. They, 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 they both are very dynamic players. It's going to be really important to make sure we cover well. And I think it's going to be really important to make sure we block their core players. You know, Derek Watts, a core player. Spillane's a core player. Uh, they just the Claypool the, the, is a gunner, you know, the rookie receiver. He does a good job. So we've got to do a good job of, of blocking their core players in the return game. Coach, thanks a lot for joining us. Good luck against the Steelers. Thank you, Vandy. All right, let's get to our next hot read. And on this Friday, that's going to be a little Texans audio jukebox couple of Texans went to the microphone on Thursday and Friday. Had a few things to say. Let's start with offensive coordinator Tim Kelly. Of course, with a Pittsburgh team that likes to blitz as much as it does with edge rushers like T.J. Watt and Bud Dupree, interior guys like Stephon Tua, Taisalu Alu, and Cam Hayward, protection of Deshaun Watson is paramount. Here's Coach Kelly on what that protection needs to be. Yeah, we, we can we can continue to, to you know, um, try to try to do things in the protections to, uh, you know, help some people out or uh, put him in a position where he can get the ball out of his hands faster. Um, so, yeah, what like like coach is saying, we're looking basically at every area there. How can we can improve, uh, you know, uh, with with our blitz pickups? Um, you know, with, with our route running, you know, we, we talked about that being better. Um, just, you know, every area that, that kind of goes into that, because obviously we need to do a better job of keeping Deshaun clean. Is that causing you to adjust how you play call because of those issues or you can't let that seep into it, if you will? I mean, I think we're that, that's something that we take into account every week. Um, so I, I don't I don't see it being any different. One of the guys that's really flourished in this offense over the three years that he's been here and really come into his own this year is Jordan Akins at tight end. And Coach Kelly talked about the first time that he met Jordan Akins. Yeah, it was in the Senior Bowl. Uh, we had, you know, uh, obviously we were fortunate enough to have Jordan on our team. Um, and so being able to kind of get to know him for those couple of days there and, and down in, down in uh, Alabama was really good. And uh, being able to see really the type of person he is, um, you know, always, always willing to work, willing to learn, asking questions. Uh, so, yeah, that, he obviously made a good impression because he ended up here a few months later. All right, let's go to our next one on the jukebox and hit B2. That would be Anthony Weaver. We've obviously had this defense, I think, playing much better football in week two than week one and really taking strides. And he talked about J.J. Watt playing on the inside, which he has done um, frequently throughout his career, not as much in recent years, but he has been used inside there. And Coach talked about what that means and how that helps his defense. We want to put him everywhere so the offense can't schematically try to take him away. 
So sometimes it's a matchup, uh, matchup thing. Sometimes we're just trying to put him in different spots for the exact reason I just said. If he's always in that left end position, which we know primarily he's going to be at, offense can chip him with a running back. They can chip him with a tight end. But when you're able to move him around and you don't know where he's going to be, that makes, that makes it a lot harder on an offense. And obviously you're going to give him an opportunity to have more success as well. Preparing for Ben Roethlisberger is a task that on the surface sounds easy, but really isn't. And Coach Weaver talked about the fact that although that's the case, maybe a similarity to Patrick Mahomes. Coach, what say you? Well, you know, they're obviously all three of them are incredible quarterbacks. They're just different in play style. Um, ben, like unlike the other two, you don't got to worry about him moving as much. Now, he's still willing, got to have his situation, but for the most part, you know where he's going to be. So up front, those guys love that, right? You can pin your ears back. You can try to win. You don't got to worry about quarterback extension and guys leaving the pocket and gaining 15 yards rushing. Um, but he's, he's obviously seen every coverage imaginable. So you got to do a great job pre-snap of trying to fool a guy that, that essentially has seen it all. And then we got to make sure we try to get heat there because we know where he's going to be. But uh, the challenge is obviously a big one, uh, but we're ready for it. All right, let's spin that jukebox again and see what we come up with this time. And it's E6. Let's hear from Whitney Merciless. Of course, facing Big Ben is one thing for the coaches. It's another thing for the players. Here's what Whit had to say about facing Ben Roethlisberger again. For a guy who's played a number of years, that definitely, if I were him, I wouldn't want to get hit. You know, with guys flying around the edge and coming up the pocket as well, too. Of course, he's going to try to get that ball out as quick as, he, as, quick as possible. Probably do a little bit of some chipping or whatnot, uh, chip on the edges for the uh, pass rushers, and also seven-man pros or play action uh, could possibly be in there as well, too. So just seeing him, I mean, he's a savvy vet, so he, of course he's going to read our defense, try to use his cadence a lot, too, just to understand what we're trying to play and, uh, you know, try to pick us apart. Whitney missed that last game against Big Ben in 2017, but he's no stranger to the big fell having played against him in 2014 on that Monday night loss. 30 to 23. All right, let's spin the jukebox dial again. And this time we're talking to a domer. Let's go to ND7 and hear Nick Martin. And of course, as the leader of the offensive front, of course, media fans alike want to know, how's the chemistry coming with an offense that has some different parts in it? And how are the first two games? How is that chemistry and timing coming together? Here's what Nick had to say. Yeah, absolutely. And we got to continue to do that in live football and games. And, you know, without a spring, the time is up, you don't get those those reps. So we are continuing to do that through camp and now and in games and, you know, just continue to build on that, the, the cohesion. There's no doubt that cohesion is needed Sunday against the Steelers and finding that groove, man. It's not the easiest thing in the world. I can promise you, I can promise you that after coaching offensive football for a long time in my career. That is not very easy. All right, enough audio jukebox. It's time for the status report and our final hot read of the day. The Texans will have three players questionable. Duke Kalambayi, Duke Johnson, and Kenny Stills, who came down with the illness this week. They were limited participants in practice. Everybody else, good to go. And that's good news because on the other side, the Steelers are all good to go including David DeCastro, who's missed the first few games, the Pro Bowl guard, as they've had Kevin Dotson stepping in at one of the guard spots. They've had Matt Filer, uh, who's a former Texan, actually, who played tackle for them last year at the other guard spot. So DeCastro will more than likely be in the starting lineup on Sunday. 
He is ready to go. Juju Smith-Schuster dealing with a knee, did not practice much this week, but he is good to go. No Steelers out, no Texans out, but Duke Johnson, Peter Kalambay, and Kenny Stills, all questionable. Everybody else in and ready to go, and that's good news because with the Steelers having every um, bullet in a holster, if you will, the Texans got to have them too. So these seemingly are two teams coming in there without major losses on either side of the ball, and that's a big thing for the Texans especially, sitting at 0-2, needing a performance for the ages, if you will, to go get a win against the Pittsburgh Steelers. All right, we get back. It's time for our Deep Slant one-on-one presented by Xfinity. And this week, Deep, he sat down with Charles Amenahu. That's next on Texans All Access. For the most in-depth coverage of your favorite team and players, check out HoustonTexans.com. What are the experts predicting about this week's big game? Extra points, Saturday nights at 1030 or after the late local news on ABC 13. Thank God it's Friday, baby. That means it's less than 48 hours from Texans v. Steelers at Heinz Field with no fans in the stands. Yes, that's a little bit sad, but then again, it probably minimizes the home field advantage a little bit. But I love going to Heinz Field, especially it looks now like it's going to be a nice sunny day. We went there on a Monday night. I loved it. Absolutely loved Pittsburgh. Hopefully, it will be the kind of ball game that we are all happy flying back with a W afterwards. Now, one of the guys that has to take his game up to a higher level each and every week, he got his first sack of the year last week, and that's Charles Amenahu. He sat down with DP Sidhu for our Deep Slant interview of the week, brought to you by Xfinity. Here's DP with Chuck. DP, take it away. Charles, the last time we spoke, it was training camp, so here you are couple games into the season what's it been like to actually get out there and play football I know it's something that we had talked a lot about this offseason but to actually go out there and and be back on the field again it, it's got to feel great I imagine yeah no it feels good um feels good being out there just you know what I'm saying it'll feel better once we get a dub on the board but um it feels good and then that Baltimore game you got your first sack um, mm-hmm. I know you talked a lot about this offseason how you really wanted to work on your pass rush technique and and all that. Did you feel like once you were on the field that a lot of that has come in handy so far, even though it is early in the season? Yeah, it's been it's been okay. Uh, still, I think I still have a long ways to go. I gotta just hone in on whatever my game plan is going to be that week. I gotta hone in on that and really work it and practice, and then just execute like do it in the game. Don't overthink it. Just go, and um, that's why I think I've been telling myself just go, just go with. Whatever that plan, the plan is on that rush, just go with it and try and execute it. And then also work games as well to get a feel of the guy. But, I mean, I study whoever I'm going to go against uh, from center to and both guards. I study them instance, uh, a lot uh, just so I have an understanding. So I just know this is my plan. This is what they do, and I'm just go with it. You know, J.J. Watt said something that I – I found really interesting. He said that his conversations with you now, as compared to a year ago, that you guys are having like these really like higher football IQ conversations. I imagine mm-hmm. when you came in as a rookie, you were probably asking him a lot of questions, just being new to the NFL and being, being mm-hmm. a first year player. But he said, no, it's, it's like higher, higher IQ football questions. Would yeah. you agree with that? Is that? Does that come to mind? Like the types of conversations you're having are yeah. a little bit more advanced? I mean, yeah, it's just like uh, bouncing off ideas, 
kind of. And then um, obviously because we work together a lot on games and stuff like that. So just bouncing off ideas, what he thinks about certain guys, because, I mean, he's seen them more than I have. And then just kind of me telling him what, how I feel just based on what I see stance-wise, tales of what's going to happen before the play, things like that. I think that's what he's kind of talking about. I've gone yeah. to, to the point where I can see, you know, it's when it's going to be run the pass and by stance and formation and things like that. So to be able to see the game through, sort of like through JJ's, JJ's viewpoint, that's got to be so valuable, especially, you know, the fact that you're a second-year player, I would imagine. Yeah, just so I can play faster, you know what I'm saying? And then if you know it's going to be a pass or versus run, if you know it's a pass, then you can kind of change your mode and then get into what pass versus moves you're going to work um, based on the guy you're going against. You talk about wanting to play faster and just being a little bit more instinctive, but how much more comfortable and instinctive do you feel heading into the game at this point this season compared to where you were last year as a rookie? Do you remember where your mindset was at this time last year? Um, I mean, last year a lot, I was playing majority on third down and then kind of spilling on first and second down. This year, a little bit more playing on first and second down, um, but just different because I'm playing inside. So still just, I wouldn't say I'm, lear I'm learning still. I think I have a good grasp of what I'm going to get. It's just okay, now how do I play How do I, How do do I? I play it better to become an all-around player and not just a guy that you know can rush, just being an all-around player. And, I mean, that's how I feel like you get the respect of the teammates and respect of the league. Yeah, JJ said that you've improved against the pass and the rush. So what about from your perspective? Where do you feel like you've really improved? Uh, I still think I got to be better versus the run. Just, um, like I said, playing inside. Pad level is a lot more important now because I'm 6'6". Six, six, um, and then just continue to get extension, understanding how different guys get to block you. Because, I mean, on the outside, the blocks are very simple. So you just know inside it could be a little bit different. And then depending on the guy, it can be set up differently at how he's going to – how he gets to that block. Password-wise inside, I think it's, it's easier for me. Just, like I said, I got to – whatever move I have in mind, I got to go with it and stick with it and run through it with it and adjust on the fly. All right, so on Sunday, you're going to face Ben Roethlisberger. He's in year mm -hmm. 17. So yeah. I was doing the math a little bit. You're, what, 23 years old? Yeah, so yeah. when, when Big Ben was a rookie, you were, what, I, safe to say you were, what, six years old? Is that about yeah. right? Yeah. So did you grow up watching Ben Roethlisberger? I mean, it's the first time you're going to face him. What is that mm -hmm. like to pass rush a guy that you essentially grew up watching? Yeah, I mean, I remember Big Ben when they were in the Super Bowl, when they played that Super Bowl game for the Seahawks. I remember the Arizona Super Bowl. So, yeah, I've watched them. But, I mean, just another guy on the list. You know what I'm saying? Another team that we got to play in a, in a, a game that's uh, highly important, very, very important. Uh, like I said, winning is where everything everything gets better when you win. It's fun when you win. So, that's the main goal. That's the first goal. But, obviously, I want to sack him. So, um, my mindset is on – Again, whatever combination of guard that they have out there, um, study them, uh, understand what my plan is going to be and go with it and get to that quarterback by any means necessary. You have to get to the quarterback by any means necessary. And it's been such different quarterbacks. Obviously, the mm -hmm. first two weeks you faced two very young mobile quarterbacks and now mm -hmm. obviously more veteran pocket passer. Does it change your approach to the game at all, depending on what sort of quarterback is back there for you? Um, I mean, you just know you have a little bit more freedom, but no, you still got, still the rush is still got, you still got to win. And then, I mean, 
difference with him, he's like six four, two forty. So you definitely when you when you do win, you have to finish. You gotta break at the ball, you gotta rake at his arms, get him down. Uh you can't go in for the kill shot, you just gotta get him down because I mean he's throughout his time in playing, you've seen him. The guys are hanging on him and he's still throwing the ball, he shrugs his off. So you just gotta make sure when you get there you, you tackle him and wrap him up almost form time. What about playing in this time of COVID? I know we talked about it in training camp, how different it was, but to get tested all the time. I know this city went through a tropical storm and you guys mm -hmm. still came in and got tested during the bye week. You're still going to get tested. What's that been like? Have you adjusted to it a little bit more? What's the toughest part or is it really not, is it really not really a big deal anymore for you? No, I think it's just, it's just, it's a way of how things are now. So, um, it is what it is. You guys got to do it and then go about your day. So, I mean, I think it's, it is what it is. You go with it. Not a big deal anymore. All right. Well, we're looking so much forward to seeing you the rest of the year. Charles Amenahu on the Deep Slant, one-on-one -on -one presented by Xfinity. Always a pleasure, Charles. Appreciate you. Thank you. Thanks. Great stuff there from Charles Amenahu, who I know I mentioned this back during training camp, but I, I like to bring this up because these guys are all, it's always really, really interesting when we think about these players, we think, okay, they're all about football, they're all about football. Charles was a radio intern for two guys that I do radio with, Chad Hastings uh, in Austin uh, at 104.5 The Horn. He was tremendous, apparently, as an intern, which when you get to know Chuck, you realize, yeah, he's, <laughs> that's a tremendous dude in a lot of different ways. He gets his first sack of the year against the Baltimore Ravens, and in going and really watching closely, he's made significant strides. Charles is not built like a guy that, that seemingly holds up against the run extremely well, but he is really holding his own the majority of the time. There are times he does get knocked off. He's got to play with a little bit lower pad level, but I think Chuck has made some progress. He is, you can tell that he has worked on his skill of pass rushing from a lot of different places on the field. And his sack the other day, you could just tell. And I actually thought, when he sacked him, I thought that ball was coming out, man. I thought the ball was out. The way that Lamar had it and the way that Charles was sacking him, I thought he was going to punch it out. And if he punches that thing out, if he somehow could have gotten that thing loose, it would have bounded. It would have been bouncing the other way. And we had a couple of defenders that were running after it, would have run after it because they were right there. They pick that thing up, go to the house, place goes nuts. I mean, relatively speaking, our sideline goes nuts. Now, who knows what happens at that point? But we've seen Charles make strides. Now it's got to be about consistency, every down, in and out. And I think about guys that are kind of built like him, that it took a little while for them to really kind of hit their stride. But I think when he hits his stride, I think Charles is going to be a really impactful player for this defense. And that's got to start. Not start. It's got to continue. The rise has to continue this week against the Pittsburgh Steelers. He's going to have his hands full. Those guards, they'll knock you off your block. Those tackles, Villanueva, massive. Okafor on the other side, he's not got a lot of game experience, but in watching him dating back to his days at Western Michigan, he would knock your you-know-what in the dirt. I mean, this guy is physical, so those, those defenders up front have got to play with good pad level, good pop in the hands, really get off blocks, and go find a ball carrier and square up on them and make really good tackles. If they don't, that could be trouble. And that's actually one of the keys to the game. We're going to get into my keys to the game next. What do the Texans have to do to get a win? Offense and defense together as one. 
what do they have to do? Now, turnovers, there's no question. That's first and foremost on the list. So I didn't even mention the keys to the game. Ball security is massive. I used it as a key last week. And I mentioned Marlon Humphrey and what happened in the biggest play of the game. Marlon Humphrey punched the ball out. The LJ4 took it for a touchdown. That can't happen this week. Got to get things under control. Ball security on one side. Stripping the ball, punching it out, picking it off. Whatever you got to do on the other side. I didn't mention that as a key. That's almost always as a key. But it was so important against the Ravens because I know that's what they do. Pittsburgh not as skilled at that as Baltimore is a particular one guy. But Pittsburgh will go, will go get the football. That will happen. Turnovers are going to be big. So there's your first key even before the keys to the game. Let's get to the rest of them next right here on Texans All Access. I'm Bill O'Brien, and you're listening to Texans Radio. For all the latest news and videos on our favorite team, check out HoustonTexans.com. What are the experts predicting about this week's big game? Extra points, Saturday nights at 1030 or after the late local news on ABC 13. We have reached that part of tonight's program when it's time for our keys to the game. And when I say our, I mean mine. John Harris, football analyst and sideline reporter here for your Houston Texans and Texans All Access this evening. And we know what's coming. One of the most brutal physical matchups the Texans will have in the 2020 season, a trip to Pittsburgh at 0-2 with Pittsburgh 2-0 and an opportunity to shock the world in some sense. Vegas only has Pittsburgh as a four-point favorite going into this one, which I'm not surprised on one hand, and I am a little bit on the other, that Vegas has seen it at four. And in fact, I am checking as we speak to see if that number has moved. No, it remains at four. I mean, most of the time, a home team gets three points just for playing at home. Now, there will be no Steelers fans or Texans fans for that matter. I was surprised. I saw some Texans fans at the Chiefs game in the opener up at Kansas City. So that was kind of cool. But no fans on Sunday. I will be all by my lonesome amongst some photogs and some other sideline reporters from a TV perspective. But I'll have the sideline moat all to myself. What will I see? What will I want to see? Well, it's time for our keys to the game And we're going to start with the Texans' defense versus the Steelers' offense. So, again, when I do these, I don't do them in any order. I just boom, 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 rapid fire. I look at it and go, okay, what I miss? So, all of these, because to me, they're all keys. I think I've got to hit all of them. It doesn't really matter what the the order is. Let's just hit it and let's roll. Now, number one, present Ben with different looks. And a few of them. Look, Ben's been around since 2004. He started, I think, the second or third game of the NFL. That team went 15-1 and one under his leadership. And the Steelers have been winning ever since. The only time that the Steelers have struggled have been those years when Ben has been injured or when Ben has been injured. When Ben is playing, this team has been phenomenally consistent and really good. And offensively gifted in a number of different ways. I do think that this team of the Steelers, this offense, is not as talented as they have. Receiver core is good, not great. They lack really a true number one wide receiver. They don't have an Antonio Brown. They don't have a Heinz Ward. They don't have somebody of that caliber. They've got good receivers across the board. I don't think they have a great one. They have Juju Smith-Schuster. They've got Deontay Johnson. Last week, Chase Claypool got involved deep down the field. The one thing that's been consistent is Ben Roethlisberger. And I think... 
missing in missing the season of 2019 was maybe a blessing in disguise for him because he got a chance to rest his body as well as his surgically repaired elbow. That said, and I bring all that up because he has seen it all. He's seen everything more than likely that a defense can throw at him. So you've got to show him some different looks. It seems sort of obvious that you want to do that every single week, but you have to trust it. You've got to trust those disguises. Don't give it away too soon and show him some man and play zone. Look, one of the things that the Ravens did to the Texans last week, they showed man, but their players like Marcus Peters sort of played off of that and kind of cheated a little bit. So they gave Deshaun a little bit of a different look, even though it looked like man, Peters fell off his guy to make that interception. Those are some of the things the Texans are going to have to do. And in presenting him different looks, they've got to show that they can, in zone, get their head on a swivel and find every receiver in the area. Too often, we're getting our eyes caught on a quarterback and not finding receivers in the area. But by showing Ben some different looks, be it in secondary or some rush looks, it could force him into some things, and obviously, when the turnovers start to happen. Number two, this one seems obvious, but maybe more so this week than any other. Win one-on-one at the line of scrimmage. Now, last week, the the Ravens won... They went one-on-one a lot, there's no doubt. But with their double teams, they were able to get such movement off the ball that that guy was already out. So everybody else was one-on-one. So the defense had to win those one-on-one matchups to make plays. There were times when the Ravens won those one-on-one matchups, and that's when some of the big plays happened. You know the Steelers are going to pound with some of those double teams in the run game. The guys that are one-on-one must win in the passing game you must win those one-on-one matchups so you don't have to sit there and blitz with five or six, leaving the secondary exposed and being in true cover one or true cover zero. You've got to be able to win your one-on-one matchups. There's no doubt, especially at the line of scrimmage, you have to win those one-on-ones when you're given an opportunity. Some guys have. P.J. Hall has. J.J. Watt has. Jacob Martin has. Some other guys have got to step up and do the same this week. Number three, we know this guy very, very well. We saw him for two straight years in 2018 and 2019. And I want to say he scored a touchdown in nearly every game, if not every game. And that's Eric Ebron, the tight end for the Steelers. He is a receiving tight end. He is not a blocker. He will get destroyed in the run game. When he's in there, he's more going to be a move guy than he is a guy that's going to be in line. When he's in line, jam him, rock him, do whatever you got to do. Do what other teams have done to him, and that's physically beat him up. But when he is flexed out or it is as a receiver, He has killed the Texans in the past. Now, the Texans did do a really good job of Mark Andrews of the Ravens last week. Really held him in check. That sort of thing has to be the way they attack Eric Ebron. And this time, I think Lonnie Johnson's healthy. Whereas last year, he was a rookie, a little banged up. And they faced faced each other in that Week 7 game at Indianapolis last year where Ebron made the great touchdown in the back of the end zone. I think Lonnie Johnson could be very key in covering a guy like Eric Ebron. Do not err on Ebron and think that, well, it's Eric Ebron. He's not good anymore. Uh Uh-uh. This guy can make plays anywhere on the field, and he has a vital piece in Ben's passing game. There's no question. Number four, master man coverage. Now, I do think the Texans have actually been much better in man coverage than they have been. I think they've been pretty good. But the one thing that cannot happen in this situation is that when the Texans go man coverage, You know the Steelers are going to answer with rub and or pick routes, depending on what side of the ball you're on. 
their pick routes to the defense, their rub routes to the offense. But you know when the Texans are a man, it's coming. And one of the biggest plays of the game that really nobody talked about, in the first half, the Ravens got down on the one-yard line for Patrick Ricard's touchdown, one-yard touchdown catch, was a crossing route in which two Texans, one covering Nick Boyle, ran into another Texan covering a back out in the flat. That can't happen. That cannot happen in man coverage. That's been happening too often. I saw it too often in 2019. I can remember it in a Philadelphia game in 2018, uh, uh, clear as day. You've got to master man coverage. You've got to be on different levels. When you watch the Ravens, did you ever see the Ravens run into each other? No, they never did. I watched every single play. And at no point when the Ravens were in man coverage did I see a pick route or a rub route get one of those Ravens knocked off the spot. We get knocked off too often. We've got to master man coverage. It's been good. It can be even better as long as guys get into the spots they're supposed to and not knock or pick each other off. That can't happen. And last and certainly not least, I give you James Conner. I give you Juju Smith-Schuster, Eric Ebron, Jalen Samuels when he comes in the game, and Big Ben Roethlisberger. What do they all have in common other than the fact they wear black and gold? They are all really difficult to bring to the ground all the time with one guy. There are a lot of times where you think you've got one of those guys stopped and they will run out of a tackle. They will burst through a tackle. James Conner running the football, I think that's obvious. But the one you don't think about is Ben Roethlisberger. You've got to bring everything you've got to wrap him up and bring him to the ground. If anything, keep that arm from going up to where he can pass it because I don't know how many times I've seen that man be held in some way, shape, or form, looks like he's going down, and then he flings it 20 yards for a first down completion. He kills teams with that. He's hurt the Texans before with things like that. When you get there, get him down, get that right arm down so he can't get rid of that football. That is key. But with this entire Steelers offensive roster, you must bring those guys down to the ground. It is not over until the whistle, electronic or not, is blown. Got it? Good. Let's flip it over to the other side with the Texans offense going against the Steelers defense, arguably the best this team has faced in quite some time. This Steelers defense is first in the league, giving up just 66.5 yards per game on the ground. Passing yards, they give up 238.5, and this is what I've said before. I think you can throw on them. 14th in the league. They're second overall in total offense allowed in 305 yards per game. But here's the key. They have four turnovers generated in two games. Three picks, one intercept, or one fumble. That's where they thrive. Sacks, they've got a 34-game sack streak. They have a sack dating, dating back to every, in every game, dating back to the divisional playoff round in January of 2018 of the 2017 season against the Jags and Blake Bortles. That's the last time the Steelers' defense did not register a sack. Think about that. That's how good this defense is. So let's start with the Texans' offense, number one. And this might be the most important one. Don't lose composure. They're going to get theirs. There's no question. Now, hopefully not turnovers. They're going to get theirs. They're going to get sacks. They're going to get tackles for a loss in the backfield. Do not lose your composure. Stay calm. Stay poised. Realize next snap, next snap. You can move the ball throwing it on these guys if you give Deshaun time. You have to be able to do that, but you can't lose your composure. You can't get down 7 nothing to panic. Like, we got to have, got to just stay calm, execute the game plan. Don't lose your composure. They're going to come after you. There's no doubt. 
from a physical nature, these guys are probably even more so than the Ravens. Relax. Play each play with a renewed focus. Win the next down. Number two, show them something different. Watch this Texans offense. And every so often, there's something that you see is a little different. Like, hmm, I didn't know they had that in the game plan. I haven't seen them run that before. If you've got a few wrinkles for the Steelers, it's a great time to bring it out. You've had the receiver core all together now for a couple games. Deshaun's getting comfortable back there. The offensive line's got to play a little bit better, but they're starting to get in sync a little bit. Show the Steelers something a little different, whether it's with personnel groupings, whether it's with alignment, maybe a little bit unbalanced, maybe a little bit of six offensive linemen, two running backs in the backfield. Show them something a little bit different this week and see if they can't adapt to you. Maybe that works in your favor. Number three, and this one is hugely important at run game. Like I said, Steelers give up, what, 66.5, 66.5 yards per game on the ground. Now, Denver got some on them, which leads me to this. Get some movement up front. The Texans offensive line has got to move the line of scrimmage. Now, easier said than done. There's Stephon Tewitt right there. There's Cam Hayward right there. There's TJ Watt, Bud Dupree. In comes Tyson Alu Alu, who's playing very, very well in like his 80,000th year in the league. This group is very hard to move off the ball. But there are double teams built into the run game. Those double teams have got to knock guys off the ball. The biggest difference, I thought, in the game last week against Baltimore were that the Ravens double teams moved our guys off the ball. Our double teams on Ravens defenders did not. That's got to change. We've got to get movement off the line of scrimmage and give David Johnson and our running backs some room to run where he's got a chance to make a decision. When we got movement, we got the Ravens going, then David was able to read those blocks, cut it back on the zone play, stay true to it and stay play side and pick up a gain. He didn't get much, but the couple of runs that he did have, we got movement off the line of scrimmage. This is not going to be easy, trust me. But double teams have got to get guys lifted, win leverage, play with good pad level, and get them off the ball. Or those Steelers are going to be living in the backfield all game long. All right, number four. This one is kind of a where's Waldo situation, and it's called Find 28. Now, 28 for the Steelers is Mike Hilton. He's maybe the smallest guy on the field. It says 5'9", 195. Mike Hilton's probably about 5'8", 180 pounds. Yet he's one of the toughest son of a bucks you're going to find out there. This dude is a baller and might be the best nickel in the league. And when he comes in, there are a million different things the Steelers can do. But the most dangerous one is him blitzing. In the 2017 game, when I believe he was a rookie, on Christmas night here at Energy Stadium, he had not one, not two, but three sacks and forced a fumble as well. The other day against the Broncos, he had a sack early on. He came on a blitz, got free and got a sack on Drew Locke. He is a problem in a lot of different ways, and he plays with no chill. He got a 15-yard penalty for hitting the quarterback late after Locke had gone out on Jeff Driscoll. He is a monster in that defense, and he's one of the guys nobody talks about. you got to account for him in the pass blocking because if he is floating anywhere around the line of scrimmage, anywhere, there's a possibility of him coming. The running backs have got to pick him up, square him up, and stay on that block have to stay on that block find 28 that's mighty mouse mike hilton and number five score early finish in the second half the one thing about 
whenever I hear, oh, you got to get off to a fast start, got to get off to a fast start, I think of being in Pittsburgh in 2014. I think that was week seven, maybe. We went to Pittsburgh on a Monday night. And all the talk leading up to that was the Texans had to start fast. They weren't scoring in the first half. They weren't scoring in the first quarter. And so games were 0-0 at the end of one or 0-0 at halftime. The Texans would stay in it, and they ended up winning their share of games up to that point. But they weren't getting off to a great start. And so everybody's like, oh, you got to start fast, got to start fast. We go to Pittsburgh and go bang, bang. We're up, I think, 13 to nothing. And then all of a sudden, the Steelers started climbing back. We had a rash of mistakes near halftime, and the Steelers took the lead. And then through the third quarter, we couldn't get it back going until the fourth quarter. And we got it within seven in an onside kick late in the game to get the ball back. But by that point, it was too late. And so when you start early and start fast, that's great. But you got to finish it in the back end. And that's what we didn't do. Now, obviously, that rash of mistakes in the middle, we got to eliminate that. But that just kind of goes without saying. You can't make mistakes against this team. But you got to start fast. And you got to know that in, that isn't it. It's starting fast and playing at that level, and then finishing strong in the fourth quarter and put those jokers away. That's what this team has got to do. Do those things, and they'll have an opportunity to go to Pittsburgh and come back with a W. All right, we come back. My man Mark Vandermeer is going to join me on the other side. We'll talk about this game, get our final thoughts down on paper or on audio. Either way, time to look at it, and we'll do that next on Texans All Access. This is Texans Radio on Sports Radio 610. It's Radio 610. Here's the snap. Looking. Flips the ball. Diving for the pylon. And he's got it. Razzle dazzle. Touchdown, Houston. And the Texans go in front. Game day is every day. We had a lot of energy and we brought a lot of spark for this organization. The best is yet to come. Five nights a week, the hits keep on coming. Ball is out. The Texans say they have it, and they do. Now, it's Texans All Access. Nothing like a Friday chat with the voice of the Texans. Mark Vandermeer, welcome back to this Friday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. And it is Mark Vandermeer on the other end. Mark, good evening. How are you feeling Less than 48 hours away from Texans v. Steelers. You called every one of them. You called a couple of wins, a couple mm. of tough losses. Hopefully this one will go in the other direction. How are you feeling, first of all, about the game itself, going to Pittsburgh this year and taking on a really good defense in particular? Well, I'd be surprised if they don't play well. You know, sometimes we get into these situations where – you know, you're coming off some tough games or a tough game or whatever the situation is uh, that might not be as positive as we would like. And I feel like they're going to play well. I don't know if that's enough, though, Johnny. I think this Steelers team is potentially pretty good. And, you know, you and I have been talking about it all week, how uh, they have a lot of things going for them. You know, they have Roethlisberger back, threw for 300 last week. They've got Connor running the ball well. Uh, they've got a defense that looks like one of the better defenses they've had in a long, long time. And they want to make a statement. You know, they're the ones that want to show that they belong with the Ravens, uh, as you do as well. But you had a chance to do that last week and couldn't. Uh, But, you know, this is also one of those situations that I wanted to get your take on it where, you know, we've talked about this from time to time. This is Bill O'Brien's circle the wagons time. I mean, we know that there are very few people uh, that do this better than him, where it's like, all right, there's this is not going well. What's going to happen? But often when the chips are down the most, when things just seem the most bleak, 
he comes up with a coaching performance. The team comes up with a playing performance that results in a victory. And I'm hoping that this week that's the case. Yeah, I mean, how many times have we said backs to the wall, there's nobody we'd rather have than Bill O'Brien to pull this organization out of the fire. I mean, he just has a knack for dealing with that. And I don't know if that just dates back to uh, his days at Georgia Tech with George O'Leary, and that was kind of the way Georgia Tech was. You know, they'd have a couple rough games to start, and then they'd just come out swinging the next few games. I don't know if it was his experience at Penn State um or if it was our experience at brown where we hardly ever won <laughs> when maybe that's where maybe that's where he learned it but it, it does it does have the feel of that and it's interesting mark because i i thought back to that 2014 game and in listening to a lot of people talk about this game this week what's the one thing that they've said start fast well that was the same thing in 2014 if you remember 2014 we did not get out of the gates offensively in a number of those games, but we didn't make any mistakes. So scores were like 0-0, 3-0 after the first quarter, and it was like, you got to start fast. we got to start fast. we got to start fast. We went to Pittsburgh in 2014 and started fast. But then we got near halftime, and we tripped all over ourselves. Uh, and what yeah. was a 13-0 lead turned into a 24-13 lead uh, for the Steelers going into half, and it was unlike anything we'd ever seen. So starting fast is big. But just as much is finishing, finishing the end of the half, both halves, and hopefully you can finish the second half taking a knee because you finished the first half strong. And I thought about that, Mark, the first two games. I was driving today and I was thinking about this. The first two games very easily could have been 14 to 10 at Kansas City and could have been, could have been 14, 13 us against the Ravens, or worst case, 13-10 with the Ravens with a three-point lead. But because of mistakes right before the half, missed field goal, not a mistake, you know, it's a physical mistake, but missed the field goal that allowed them to kick a field goal, go up 10 instead of only being up four. Um, and then in the Ravens game, you have that fumble. The Texans are down 13-7. Who knows if, if QT doesn't fumble if they don't move down. Maybe score a touchdown. Maybe kick a field goal ends up being 13 to 10 at the half, maybe 14, 13 in your favor, but you fumble that ball, they go in, you do get a, a, a field goal, so you cut it to 10, but you're down 10 when you realistically could have been up one. Against the Chiefs, you're down 10, and you should have really only been down four. But that end of first half, not only starting fast, but finishing the halves is absolutely paramount in this game. To finish well, those things. I mean, the, how different are those games in the second half? Yeah, who's to say? I mean, maybe the second half, both the Chiefs and Ravens catch fire, and maybe it doesn't matter much. But I have a feeling that if you go into the half up one or just down by three, you're feeling much better about what you can do in the second half as opposed to being down two scores when you feel like maybe you're playing better than you have, but you just made those mistakes at the end of the halves so that are just absolute killers. Look, that's this league, right, Johnny? I mean, against a really good team like the Ravens or the Chiefs, you can't afford to not capitalize. Making right. mistakes is one thing, but as bad as everything went last week, you know, with the first half turnover on downs, turnover with the fumble return for a touchdown, turnover with the pick, all of that stuff. Yep. As bad as that went, and as bad as allowing an eight-minute drive to begin in the third quarter, but you held them to three, right? Right. If you scored a touchdown instead of a field goal on the ensuing drive of that eight-minute drive they had, 
you're down six and you have the whole fourth quarter to go. And again, you're not necessarily going to win the game, but who knows what happens? That's how you have to play. You have to be able to play through those mistakes. Even, you know, you don't want to make those mistakes, but even when you make them you, and you have an opportunity, you got to take advantage of those opportunities. Here's another thing. In this COVID era, I was thinking about this. You know, we talked about, well, you didn't have home field advantage with the 70,000 fans last week, but at least you're at home and the protocols and all that, and you're familiar with your building. Yeah. I think that, and, and this is no excuse, this is not why you lost, but that was not a home field advantage. <laughs> that was almost no. a disadvantage because, yes, you're used to your building, and all of a sudden you're in your building and it's empty. And yeah. I think that the road team actually benefits from that, right? So, and unfortunately for the Texans, the Steelers are used to this now. They played a week in their building empty. Yep. So now they're, they're used to it. But for the Texans going on the road, I mean, like, I think we're over the COVID era now, you know, as far as the way the teams are going to handle these buildings, whether they're partially full, yeah. empty, whatever. We're over that now. Just yeah. go ahead, play ball, take advantage of it. I talked to Bill O'Brien about it. He said, yeah, we, we're just ready to go play now, no matter what the situation is. They, they are used to this environment. Well, the thing about it is the Texans' first game is on the road, but there are actually fans in the stands. I mean, there's, yep. there's some semblance, small though it be, a small semblance of norm, 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 normalcy. Golly, spit out the kumquats, John. There's some sense of normalcy there because there are fans there. There are fans when you have a third down cheering against you. The Ravens had gone through a situation where there were no fans. They had already played a game against the Browns in their building where there were no fans. And so that maybe gave them a little bit of a leg up because they were kind of already – they've already adapted in some sense to the weird nature of what it was going to be. Well, now the Texans have played in front of no fans. They know what it's like. Let's go out there and put together a solid performance. And, you know, you bring up a great point. You talk about when you hold them to a field goal after that long drive. God, I felt like they were on a field forever. Which makes me think about something. I'll get to that in a second. But that drive took forever. Well, then you move the ball down. And Mark is 23 to 10. And I think it was the first sack of Deshaun on the day. They got four. But they all came in the second half. And late in the third quarter was the first one. And so once the Texans have to throw a lot, sitting duck, they're bringing all kinds of things at him. So be it. It's 23 to 10. And Brandon Cooks is open deep down the field, and Mark gets a touchdown. I mean, he is he's probably three, four yards wide open. And Deshaun is ready to throw, and he can't. He gets just too much pressure, pressure. at his feet, and he can't. He doesn't have enough room to launch. And I watched it, and on the field, when I, down on the field level, I remember I was looking out. I couldn't tell because of the angle I was. The two players are in line, so I couldn't tell how close Cooks was to the corner or to the safety, actually. When I watched it back on the end zone copy, he's wide open. And I just – it's one of those where I'm watching, I just bang the table because I know that's a touchdown. That is a touchdown, and it changes the game. Now it's 23-17. Now you got something going. You hit a deep ball that always seems to get this team going. It gets Deshaun going. You know, who knows what you can do at that point. But that Ravens eight-minute drive, it seemed like they were forever. In 2011, when the Texans played the Steelers, they start off the game with that 19-play drive. Mark, it must have felt like a half hour that they had the football in their possession. Do you remember that drive? What do you remember about that? 
I remember that as a game that it just felt like if you could beat that team on that day, you belonged with a higher echelon in the NFL. Yes. Yes. And and that that day signified that to me. It was a 17-10 victory. Johnny, I have a picture in my office. You know how around the stadium in our offices we have these framed photos, yeah, these yeah. large framed photos. I've got one of Matt Shop dropping back, and it's a play-action pass. Arian oh, is yeah. – Arian, you know, they fake the hand off to Arian. He's running into the line. Uh, and there, there you have Dwayne Brown, Wade Smith, Chris Myers, Mike Frizzell, and Eric Winston. You have James Casey – in uh you know as a as a blocker yep. and um it's funny because all you see is shop dropping back ready to plant and throw and you know it's going to be a completion i mean it's because the the run was so successful and i love that picture and i, I don't know if i've ever tweeted that out i'm going to do that yeah. um and i went back to look at what happens to the football and it's an 18 yard catch by andre johnson i thought yeah. it was going to be one of those kubiak like you know, 70 yarders, but we didn't have that in that game. Um, it was an 18 yard completion to Andre Johnson who would get hurt later on in that game. Uh, but it's, uh, it shows you that that game, the run was just sucking people in because it, both teams are pounding, pounding it. It was a very physical game. Uh, and they had two 17 to 10 victories that year against the Steelers and against the Falcons later on when TJ yeah. Yates started uh, his first actual whole start. So yeah, I remember that one well, and I think that, you know, I don't know if you can win it like that on Sunday. I think this one's in the mid-20s. I think yeah. you got to get like 24, 27 and, and hope you hold them to less, and that's how this one has to play out for you. It's not a game in the 30s. doesn't need to be that way, and it's not going to be a grinded-out 20-17 to 17 win like you sometimes have in the division. You're not going to have one of those on Sunday. So let's just hope that they can find a way to just get over the top here, get the offense clicking, get you know get those key conversions get a couple of touchdowns when you know you you were settling for field goals like last week and then maybe you get the victory that drive against the Steelers I is that the longest drive in Texas history 19 plays almost 11 minutes I think it was is that the longest in history I, I remember going to the record books to try to figure that out of, of a drive that happened, I think, two years ago. I think two years ago they had a really long drive in one of these games. It's but the Colts. The Colts. Yeah. To start the half. Is. is that what it is? Yeah. That was the ha Yeah. I think this one was longer by plays, but I don't know the minutes. I can't remember how long. I, thought, I want to say it took like 9.55 off the clock. I mean, you imagine starting a game. And then you finish it with a touchdown. That's the most important thing is yep. you finish it with a touchdown. This one has the feel like that in that I think these two teams will beat the absolute bejesus out of each other on Sunday. I think this is kind of backyard brawlish. However, I do think you're right. I do think this is one in the 20s. And I think it's going to be a turnover that changes it, whether it's one for us or one for them. They're plus one in turnover margin. They have three turnovers they have taken the ball away four times. So they can give it up as much as they can take it. We're second to last in turnover margin in the league. So that's – and not only that, we're second to last in turnover margin, but off those turnovers, teams outside of the interception, the teams have capitalized on that, which obviously we can't have happen um, at all. What do you think last night of Jags losing to Miami and Fitzpatrick uh, doing what he typically does 
on TV. I thought he was great. What do you think of Miami v. Jacksonville? It, if Fitzy doesn't turn it over, he's a deadly quarterback. Yes. He's been around way too long. He knows stuff. He can make plays with his feet. He can extend plays. Yeah. He's a good passer, Johnny. But if he turns it over, uh, you know, that's that's the big problem with them. Yep. You know, I, I heard people talking today, like, why aren't they playing Tua? You know, well, they're not playing Tua because Fitzy knows yeah. the offense and he knows yep. protections and he knows things like that. And you never know what's happening with a rookie behind the scenes. I think with the Jags, look, the Jag I don't want to say they are who we thought they were. I think Minshew's pretty good. But, you know, they're, they're not that talented, especially right. with Chark out. You know, he's a big weapon for them. Uh, yeah. They're not that talented. So, you know, yeah, they can be young and scrappy, but it's, it only goes so far. You know, yeah. and the Dolphins are pretty stout, actually. And uh, for them, they felt like, look, if we don't win this one, we're, you know, we might as well go play Tua. You know, we, we <laughs> yeah. tank for Tua. They yeah. didn't really do that. But, uh, you know, they, they might as well go get ready for the future. Uh, but for the Jags, it's funny because I kind of root for the Jags because of what we always talk about. We know a lot of people there, but I don't. You know, I, I can't have them winning because of the divisional race. So it's it's a weird dynamic. Johnny, we need the Vikings to step up this week. Oh, you know, you can yes. ill afford the Titans going 3-0, and especially if you don't get this one. Oh, yep. my gosh, that really that puts you three games behind. Now you have two that you're going to play against them, but it's going to be tough to win them both. A uh, long way to go, of course, but, hey, this is what it's all about. It's the football drama. And we'll see how it plays. Mark, I appreciate you hopping on with me. Thank you, my friend. Thank you, Johnny. When we get back, it's time for my predictions. I pick them straight up and against the spread. I do it every single week. You do not want to miss it. That's next on Texas Law Access. If you love podcasts and you love the Texans, you'll love our Texans podcasts. Now available on iTunes and HoustonTexans.com. What are the experts predicting about this week's big game? Extra points, Saturday nights at 10.30 or after the late local news on ABC 13. Welcome back to this Friday edition of Texans All Access. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst and silent reporter for your Houston Texans. Kickoff 12 noon on Sunday, and that will be the kickoff time for the rest of the year. Hopefully it's not. Because maybe the tech, one of the Texans games will get flexed into Sunday night. But that's down the road. They're all at noon right now. Except for that Thanksgiving game against Detroit. So that should be pretty easy. Now, if you're in Pittsburgh, for some reason, even though you can't go to the game, it'll be at 1 o'clock Eastern, 12 o'clock Central. Looking forward to that. Now, one of my favorite segments to do all week long. Because it's rapid fire. And it's sort of a contest. It's a game to me to see what I can do. And that is my predictions for all NFL games, straight up and against the spread. And look, I don't do anything against the spread. I'm not like, you know, one of these East Coast guys, look, I got your lock of the year and I got one for you every single week. No, it's not me. I just like to talk about the games and talk about them in this particular way. So, are we ready? We got 13 games on Sunday, one Monday night. The one on Monday night is pretty going to be pretty fun. And we'll get to that one. But let's kick it off with all of our games on Sunday. But first... My music, and there it is. Okay, it's time to get started. Now, let's go to the ATL, where the Chicago Bears at 2-0, with Mitchell Trubisky playing pretty well. He's not crushing it, but he is playing pretty well. It's a three-and-a-half-point spread for the Falcons, who are 0-2. The Falcons are 0-2 on the year. Matt Ryan's lighting it up. 362 yards per game, 68 percent completion 
six touchdowns and one interception. But what the Falcons are not getting is a consistent running game. And of course, the defense has been brutally bad. Mitchell Trubisky, on the other hand, has been very good as well. Passing percentage, not very good, 59%. But he has five touchdowns and just two interceptions. They're getting a, a little bit out of the run game with David Montgomery averaging 73 yards on the ground. But the big thing is the Bears defense is playing as you would expect. So this Bears defense versus Falcons offense is going to be one heck of a battle. I just don't know that I can trust Atlanta at home, but it's a desperate situation. Now, Thursday night, you saw a desperate Dolphins team going to Duval County and get a win at home in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. I'm going to give the Falcons the win but I won't give them the cover. I think this one will be a one or a two point game. Very, very close. Maybe you got to knock it home uh, in, uh, at the very end to win it by one or two. But I'm going to give the Falcons the win and the Bears the cover at four, at three and a half being the spread. All right. Then a great ball game up in Buffalo. The LA Rams have got it back together. Two and oh, a win over Dallas, a win on the road at Philly. Now they got to go back on the road to take on the Bills. I do think the Rams maybe stayed on the East Coast uh, to take on the Buffalo Bills. The Bills are a one-and-a-half-point favorite. Josh Allen, what a huge performance last week. He brings the Bills, gets them ahead. Dolphins take a lead. He brings them back from behind. He's been all kinds of fabulous. Stephon Diggs was outstanding last week in that game against Miami. Diggs leads the Bills with eight receptions a game at 120 yards a game. Does have one touchdown, but Josh Allen, 70% completion percentage for 364 yards per game. No picks and six touchdowns in two games. But Jared Goff's been pretty darn good, too. 69% completion, three touchdowns, 271 yards per game. But the Rams aren't running the ball very well, and that worries me against the Bills team that I think gets a big win at home. The one-and-a-half-point spread, the Bills will cover, and the Bills will get a win at home and go to 3-0 and on this young season. Then we got a matchup of two teams that, man, I don't know what to think of either one. And I think this game may tell the story of what these two teams are. The Washington football team is 1-1. One, one. one opening weekend against Philadelphia uh, and then got trounced out in Arizona. The Browns, they got hammered by the Ravens, turned around and won a close, high-scoring ball game against the Bengals. Both teams 1-1. One one. The spread here is 7 in favor of the home Cleveland Browns. Baker Mayfield a little bit better last week against the Bengals. The run game is still the key. OBJ said, look, I'm just not going to get touches this year. We're a running team. And I do think that could give Washington a little bit of an issue. But this is a great test for the Cleveland offensive line. Unfortunately, I just don't think that Washington, I don't think Washington's pass rush is enough to overcome how little they have offensively. Terry McLaurin's been great. Six catches a game for 93 yards a game. Antonio Gibson and the run game just not getting it done. And Dwayne Haskins has been okay, but he's just sort of in a caretaker role right now. He's got to make some plays. I don't think this is the game he'll do it, although the Browns are going to 38-30. and 30. So this could be a little high scoring than we think, which you think would favor the Browns, and I think it will. But this game is going to be a lot closer than you think. I'm thinking 27-23 Browns at home get the win. The Washington football team gets the cover with that seven-point spread. Titans go to the Vikings. Here we go. Titans are favored by three on the road. I have not been impressed thus far, and I don't know. Maybe it's just 
Maybe the inner hatred for the Titans. I don't know, but I was not impressed with them playing the Broncos on Monday night. I feel like the Broncos make one catch for Jerry Judy, call their timeouts at the end of the game, have one shot to win it. Who knows? But they didn't. And then last week, the Titans narrowly escaped with a 33-30 win over the Jaguars. And look what the Jaguars did against the Dolphins. So I don't know how good the Titans are and no A.J. Brown in this one. And if any team is desperate, it's the Vikings at 0-2 and at home. They lose this one. They then come to Houston 0-3. I don't think it happens. I think that Kirk Cousins is going to reach back. He's going to find something in that Gary Kubiak offense. And the Vikings will finally get things going in the right direction, at least for one week before they come to Houston. The Vikings in an upset. They slow down Derrick Henry somehow. Dalvin Cook finds his way in the running game. And the Vikings get an upset win at home over the favored Titans. So obviously Vikings to win and to cover. I think this is going to be a it's a must win for the Vikings. Because the way the Packers are playing, Brown, the Bears both 2-0. If there's any way for the Vikings to get back in this, they've got to have this. And they know it. Then we go to Gillette Stadium. Another noon central kick where the Raiders are taking on the Patriots. And the Raiders are coming off one of those wins that can either take a team to another level or it can overinflate a team. It thinks it's better than it is. The next week they get brought down to reality. I think the Raiders are somewhere in between. Darren Waller was fantastic against the Saints on that Monday night. Derek Carr did a really nice job managing the offense, getting the ball where it needed to go, getting the ball out quickly. And then obviously Josh Jacobs in the run game just massive as they really controlled that thing from about the second quarter on the win over the Saints. The Patriots went out to Seattle. Man, I'm telling you, that was a really good football game. And Cam Newton has played very, very well. He is averaging 276 yards per game through the air, completing over 71% of his passes. And he leads the team in rushing with 61 yards per game. The Raiders are a five and a half point dog. I feel like that might be the one thing that gets them like, hey guys, you went out and dominated the Saints at home. This is not a home field advantage thing for the New England Patriots. I think the Raiders go out there and at least get inside the number. I'm taking the Raiders to cover Patriots very close. This feels like a three-point ball game. Patriots win, Raiders get a cover with that five-and-a-half-point spread. See what I'm telling you about the spread for the Texans game? The Steelers are only favored by four at home. The Patriots are favored by five and a half over the Raiders. The Raiders are 2-0. So somewhere somebody believes that either the Steelers aren't as good as they they are or that the Texans are better than a lot of people think. All right, another noon kick central time game. The 49ers taking on the Giants at MetLife Stadium. It's the second week in a row the 49ers will play in MetLife. Last week, the Niners played there. A lot of complaints about the sticky turf. The NFL has been out to investigate it saying that the MetLife turf is fine, they'll play this week, but the 49ers are down seemingly everybody, including Jimmy Garoppolo, leaving Nick Mullins to start for the 49ers to take on the Giants. Joe Judge's Giants are 0-2 and lost Saquon Barkley for the year. I think the 49ers at 1-1 will get another win this time over the G-Men. The San Francisco 49ers only favored by 3.5. I like the 49ers to win this by 7-10. to Take the 49ers to win and cover that three and a half against the G-Men. All right, another noon kick game. Two 0-2 teams 
that have really exciting offenses. The Cincinnati Bengals are 0-2, but Joe Burrow has really shown what he can do. They lose by three at home to the Chargers. Almost got a win. A.J. Green called the OPI that negated a go-ahead touchdown, and they scored 30 points against the Browns in the second one, lost by five. They can put the ball in the end zone. The Eagles, when they're on track and they're protecting Carson Wentz, they can be as exciting as any offense out there. It's now time to show it. I think the Eagles are more desperate than the Bengals. The Bengals playing with Joe Burrow every single week. It's fun. It's exciting. But I don't know if it's the feeling of we have to win this game. The Eagles, it is a have to win. Doug Peterson's got to be feeling the pressure a little bit. Carson Wentz has thrown two touchdowns and four interceptions on the year. I think that changes. This Bengals defense is exactly what Philadelphia needed. Philadelphia's favored by four and a half. I think the Eagles get the win. They get the cover. And this one is going over the 47 and a half. Trust me, 28-21 gets you there. These teams will get there. There's no doubt about that. All right, talked about Texans and Steelers. Pittsburgh's a four-point favorite. I never go against my heart and my head. Texans to win and to cover. So let's move on to a matchup at 3.05 Central Time, and that's the Jets against the Colts. Let's make this one quick. The Colts are 1-1. One one. Jonathan Taylor went up for 100 yards last week and his first rushing touchdown in the league. That's what the Colts are. The Jets are going to be picking Trevor Lawrence at the end of the year. More than likely, unless Sam Darnold doesn't about face, which I'm not seeing right now, Trevor Lawrence would make all kinds of sense. Well, let's just put it this way. The Colts are going to win. The spread on this one is 11.5. The Colts are going to bury that. They're going to win by two touchdowns. Colts will go to 2-1. and one. I would love to see the Jets upset them, but yeah, I don't think so. I don't think that's going to happen. Oh, gosh. All right. So we want a game that could be very intriguing. Now, there are key injuries on both sides here for the Panthers and the Chargers. Out at SoFi Stadium, the Chargers are favored by just under a touchdown, six and a half points. But the Panthers are without Mr. 99, Madden rating, Christian McCaffrey. He's out for about four to six weeks with that ankle issue. The Chargers are going to be without Terod Taylor, but that actually might not be a bad thing for the Chargers because it puts Justin Herbert back in charge. I think this Chargers offense watching against the Chiefs was very dynamic with Herbert. He's going to make some mistakes, there's no question. In playing at home, at SoFi, that was a game they should have had last week, no doubt. They will not lose this game. They win this game by 7, uh, maybe more than that. I feel like 10 to 14 over the Panthers. Teddy Bridgewater will put up yards, not enough points. Chargers win this thing by 10 to 14. Keep an eye on the Chargers defense might be without Melvin Ingram. That could hurt them a little bit. Tyrod Taylor is definitely out, so Herbert gets another start. We'll see what he's able to do for the Chargers. I think the Chargers will get that win and beat the Panthers by more than six and a half. Then, another three, this one at 325 Central Time, the Bucks taking on the Broncos in Denver. Last week, the Broncos hung in there with Pittsburgh. I mean, hung in there. I don't know if that's the right way of saying it, but they lost Drew Locke, Cortland Sutton, torn ACL, and they're still in that game in the fourth quarter. Lost 26-21. The Bucks seemingly got on track. Fournette ran it well. Tom threw it well. Ronald Jones ran it well. They played a solid ball game and got a win at home over the Panthers. Now they're a five-and-a-half point favorite on the road. Look, the Broncos have lost Drew Locke, Von Miller, and Cortland Sutton, Cortland Sutton for the foreseeable future. Sutton and Miller done for the year, apparently. Don't know about Drew Locke yet. That's too much firepower to lose. The 
the Bucks of anybody with Tom Brady will know how to beat the Broncos, give the Bucks a win, and they'll win by a touchdown out of cover the five and a half on the road. Tampa Bay goes to two and one. The Broncos fall to zero and three. Last year to kick off the 2019 season, the Lions went to Arizona. They kicked the season off with a tie. That will not happen this week. The Cardinals are playing exceptionally well. Kyler Murray is an early MVP candidate. He leads them in both passing and rushing, averaging 79 yards a game on the ground. Three are rushing touchdowns already. That's more, that's more than his passing touchdowns. He's got two. The Lions are kind of a mess, which is not too surprising, to be honest with you. They're five-and-a-half-point dogs. I think Arizona wins at home. They cover that five-and-a-half. This feels like a circle of wagons thing for the Lions, but I don't know what they're circling their wagons around. All indications are that Matt Patricia has just rubbed everybody raw there in Detroit. I think Detroit falls to 0-3. Cardinals get a win and cover that five-and-a-half-point spread. Then the last of your 325 Central Time kicks, the Cowboys taking on the Seahawks. Ooh, buddy. Over-under on this is 57-and-a-half. Oh, my gosh, that's an enormous number but you know what 30 to 29 gets you there so let's go over that total somehow some way and the Seahawks are favored by four and a half over the Cowboys I'm telling you Dak Prescott has been unbelievable through two games 358 yards he let them back from down 19 going to the fourth quarter and second half I mean they win 40 to 39 over the Falcons it should have probably never happened but it did the Seahawks get a win at home over the Patriots a goal line stand gets it done Russell Wilson is averaging 305 yards a game, completing 82.5% of his passes, nine touchdowns. Good grief. Seahawks win. Seahawks cover. It's a big one for Seattle at home, and I think that's what happens. But of anything, go over. Your Sunday night game is Packers at Saints. Saints from second quarter on against the Raiders on Monday night did not look good. Just didn't look good didn't look solid they didn't look like they had their game together I think they bounced back but the Packers offense is on fire but this is a make or break game for the Saints and in those situations I'm going with the desperate team the desperate team the Saints they're a three-point favorite I think that's right at the number so let's go with the Packers getting the cover the Saints getting the win yeah it'll be like a one or two point game that's the way I feel but the Saints are going to get that win in a desperate situation. Then the game of the weekend on a Monday night, it's probably the best Monday night game there's been since the Chiefs went out to the Rams in 2018, and they played that on a Monday night. The Chiefs go to Baltimore. Having seen both teams, I asked this to John McClain the other night, which team did he think was better? I think it's the Ravens because the defense is that much better, and the Ravens' offense has multiple ways to hurt you. I still think that Chiefs' defense is not a great unit. Not a great. Above average, yes, not a great unit. Ravens' defense is excellent and way above average. For that reason, I'll give the win to the Baltimore Ravens. They will cover that 3.5 as well. Moving the Chiefs to 2-1, the Ravens get to 3-0. The Ravens, to me, are the best team in football. And seeing them up close, I had a good chance to compare it. And I think the Ravens are that team. It's going to be really hard to beat them down the road. There's no question about that. Okay, we got one segment left. That means it's time for, it's time for Drew's final word. And this week... It's with a young defensive star who has been a linchpin since he's gotten here in 2018. We'll have that for you next on Texans All Access. Texans All Access continues in a moment. 
experts predicting about this week's big game. Extra points, Saturday nights at 10.30 or after the late local news on ABC 13. We got one final segment of this Friday edition. Pre-Pittsburgh Steelers game edition. Protect us all. Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am John Harris. Again, another reminder. I can't remind you this enough. 12 o'clock kick. We've had a Thursday night, a Sunday afternoon, and now a run of 12 o'clock games. Hopefully, a game or maybe two could get flexed to Sunday night. But as of right now, all noon games, the exception being the Detroit Lions Thanksgiving game, which will go a little bit earlier than 12. That's down the road. We won't worry about that till we get closer to Thanksgiving. Noon kickoff. So anybody ask you, what time is the game? Noon. What about this game? Noon. What about that game? Noon. What about the other game? Noon. All noon kickoffs from here on out. We'll have the game for you on Sports Radio 610. Mark, Andre, and myself will have you covered. We'll have the pregame show with Sean and with Seth Payne. That's always a fun listen in the morning, uh, a.k.a. Whiskey Johnson. If you have not heard those two together, they are fantastic. The postgame is with Sean Pendergast and Clint Sterner. They are fantastic. I love those three guys. Uh, Sean and I did radio for a long time together, so uh, you know we're boys from way back, and Clint and Seth know the game as well as anybody you're going to find. So really good coverage from beginning to end. Pre-game will kick off at 9 o'clock local time. Game at 12. Pre-game will follow about 10 to 15 minutes after all of us are done in Pittsburgh with the radio call. That's when Sean and Clint uh, will get it going at that point. Now, each and every Friday, I turn it over to Drew Doherty for the final word with Drew Doherty. This week, it is with former Stanford star, three-year starter for the Texans, a guy the team drafted in the third round and we're lucky to find him there in 2018, and he has become a linchpin in the secondary for this defense, for this team, and that is Justin Reed. Drew, take it away. Justin, let's start here. How hungry is this Texans team at 0-2 just to get a win? Definitely not a good taste in our mouth, but very hungry. The guys, especially this week, the energy has been great. Guys have really tackled the adversity of the situation that we're facing. We're not afraid of it, and we're ready to go challenge them. No doubt. And, you know, you talked about a change week one to week two. There was a step taken defensively. Didn't end the way you guys wanted to, and you're not satisfied at all with that result. But mm-hmm. taking a step week two to week three, you're very confident that's, that's going to happen, aren't you? Yeah. From week one to week two, we've gotten a lot better, especially on the defensive side of the ball, eliminating the X plays. We've gotten even better in the run. We can continue to get better in the run, and that's what the emphasis this week has been, just continue to be a dominant defense, really hold this team to little to no points and go out there and do our part to make sure we get a dub. It really only takes one win to get the ball rolling. Um, we've seen that two, three years ago in 2018, whenever we got that and went on nine wins straight. So there's no reason we can't do that again. You know, a week ago, Bill O'Brien pointed out that in week one, the Texans missed 20 tackles. It looked like in week two, you guys really changed that and got better in that regard would you agree with that assessment and how much further do you think you guys need to go there yeah um I think a lot of that was just knocking the rust off you know that first game was still a little bit like a preseason game not to make excuses for it but we didn't have those reps in order to really knock the rust off so what I've noticed especially in our game was that the second game the tackling was a lot better we cut the missed tackles down in half and it'll continue to get better especially going into this week When you met with the media on Thursday, you said something very interesting. You were asked about one of the biggest differences playing during these times of COVID. And you said there's a lot more trash talking. So, of course, that made my ears perk up. 
how much of a trash talker were you pre-COVID? How much of a trash talker are you now? And what sort of trash do you talk? Are you a, uh, a subtle guy? Yeah. Or are you a loud guy? How's it going? Give us the full breadth there. What's going on? You know, it's kind of funny that you said that. Pre-COVID, I didn't really talk a lot of trash at all. I'm more let my play speak for myself. You know, so loud all the time. Most of the time you couldn't hear it anyway. Post-COVID, I've definitely increased my, my trash talking to guys on the field, you know. Definitely made the gun game a lot more fun. And, you know, it keeps all of us involved in it. It's talking about, you know, guys being locked up, like, are you not catching the ball, you know. Just, just things, I'm sure, I don't know if they let everything be heard on the TV copies of what we say down there. But definitely keeps the game intense, keeps it fun. I'm guessing you can handle your business for a few reasons, but mainly, A, you have a big brother, and B, you're a Stanford grad, so you're really smart. So you doing all right in that regard as far as the cleverness of, of jabs that you're throwing verbally? Yeah, yeah. But the key is some good trash talking is don't overthink it. Keep it simple and just let them know <laughs> that you're here. You know what I mean? Let them know that you're the dominant one on the field, that you're going to be strapping them all day, that you're going to be making plays. And just let them hear you, you know what I mean? Get in their head a little bit. You don't have to overthink it or, or make, it, make it too hard for them to understand what you're saying to them. Keep it short and sweet. All right, you're going to have to keep it short and sweet with this quarterback. Ben Roethlisberger has been there and done that for quite a long time. When you watch tape of him, can you see this, how savvy a veteran he is? Can you see the little things, the subtle things that he's able to do to manipulate yeah. a defense to move the ball down the field? Yeah, um, you can definitely see his experience, especially in him just recognizing defenses. I mean, he's done this since I was three years old. So he's definitely able to recognize what, a lot of calls are, you know, so if disguising is going to be super important. Um, also his size, him being, you know, 6'12", him being able to really see the, the, the field really clearly is also an advantage for him. And his size also helps him try and not get sacked by him just being able to get, the ball, get rid of the ball while he's being hit. Um, but those are all things that we've talked about and we've game planned for in the week leading up to the game on Sunday. So Absolutely. Yeah, and those are some good things that he possesses. He also has pretty nice complemental weapons to throw to. Now, wide receiver Juju Smith-Schuster gets the lion's share of the attention, but Chase Claypool, he's making some waves as a rookie, is he not? Yeah, I think he's done a good job for him. You know, does a lot of special reps, catches the deep ball pretty good too. Also, number 18, I think, is a dynamic weapon for him. Tight ends-wise, there's a guy who played his college ball just down the road at Rice in Vance McDonald. How impressive is he? I know it's been a little bit quiet for him so far this season, but he's somebody that can do some damage, can he? Yeah, a reliable vet, a solid player, has been there a while, knows the system very well. Um, they also had Eric Ebron, formerly with the Colts, that's over there, a little bit more shifty as far as with his route running, not as good of a blocker as McDonald is. I think that McDonald's the number one guy right now. Eric Ebron is the number two. But two talented players and guys that we're going to keep an eye out for. All right, your hands are full, but their hands – the hands are full every week in the NFL. And before we leave, you won the Spirit of the Bull Award here in the organization. And just recently this week, you had some really cool stuff go on with an initiative you had with some med students here in the area. Can you just kind of tell the listeners and explain what went down there and how that related to what you were going through this summer with them? Yeah, um, giving back to the community has been a big passion of mine throughout my whole life. I've always just enjoyed helping people. So Throughout the COVID situation, seeing our frontline healthcare workers and all the work they're doing in the field, it really inspired me to try and help the next wave of healthcare workers. Most people are taking online university classes from home right now. So I thought that an impactful way to help the next generation would be to donate laptops or tablets 
to medical students that might be struggling to take those online classes because maybe they have an old computer that doesn't function properly or maybe they don't have a computer at all. So I got together and partnered with HEB and Microsoft and we were able to donate 20 tablets to um, Baylor School of Medicine students. And you know, yesterday we got to confirm that all those students received the tablets. So it was definitely really cool to see. That's outstanding work. Very generous of you. You walk the walk and you talk the talk on and off the field. It's always good to check up with you. Justin Reed, best of luck Sunday against the Steelers. And we'll talk to you again very, very soon. Appreciate you, Drew. Now, I hope that Justin Reed plays football for a very, very long time for this organization. I want him here for the duration of his career and for as long as the man can play football. But I'm telling you, he can do anything that he wants to do when his career is over. If he wants to coach, he wants to be a general manager, he wants to own a darn football team, he's going to be able to do that and do it as a superstar. He is going to be fantastic. If he goes into business, if he goes into broadcasting, he is going to be excellent at whatever he decides that he wants to do. I hope in some way, shape, or form that Justin Reed goes into something in which he helps people. He can brighten up everybody's day just sharing that smile. I mean, he's just absolutely fabulous. His commercials at HEB are are so funny. The one he did the other day with Deshaun that I saw on social media, just absolutely fantastic. So big thanks for Justin joining the show. Charles Amanda, who joined the show. Big thanks to him. DP Sidhu did an excellent job with that interview. Mark Vandermeer joined me. Thank him. Bill O'Brien joined Mark earlier in the show. We had my keys. We had my predictions. So I thank myself for the contributions. But mainly, I thank my man B. Porter back in studio. And I thank all of you for listening. We couldn't do this without you, even in these crazy times, as we all say. We don't get this done without all of you. We appreciate you and love you, Texans fans. Sunday at noon. Time for this Texans team to turn the season around by getting a big win on the road in a tough place to play. We'll see you then, everybody. And as always, go Texans. You've been listening to Houston Texans football. Brought to you by Reliant Energy, Ford, Texas Lottery, Geico, and by Cushada. This is Texans Radio.